On August 1st, 2018, the Democratic Republic of Congo announced the latest outbreak of Ebola virus disease in that country. Although the basic pillars of response remain the same as in past outbreaks, several investigational therapeutics and a vaccine that is available under an expanded access protocol are also components of the effort to control this outbreak. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Inger Damon, Director of the Division of High-Consequence Pathogens and Pathology at the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Damon has co-authored a perspective article about the current Ebola outbreak and the tools being used to contain it. Dr. Damon, can you give us an update on the current state of that outbreak in the DRC? Sure, I'd be happy to. So today is November 1st, 2018, so we're now three months into this outbreak, and we've now reached in this uh, 10th outbreak of Ebola in the Democratic Republic of Congo. This is the third largest that the Democratic Republic of Congo has seen. It's also extending on for a longer period of time in terms of active cases newly being identified. So really in the past four weeks, we've had almost 30 new cases identified every week. So that's almost 50% of the cases that we've seen so far in this outbreak, which is now up to 285 cases. So 250 of those have been confirmed through laboratory tests, and 35 are considered probable because they have an epidemiologic link to another case. They had signs or symptoms consistent with Ebola, and they've died before there's an opportunity for testing. So what's the CDC's role been in the response to this outbreak? So CDC has been coordinating with both other groups in the United States government, as well as closely working with the Ministry of Health and DRC, as well as the World Health Organization and out of Geneva. And so over the past months, we have embedded one of our staff members to support the Minister of Health and DRC in providing guidance and discussions with his cabinet in terms of approaches for control of the outbreak. For a brief period of time, we had at least three CDC staff in the Beni Emergency Operations Center, which is currently the epicenter of the outbreak in this region of DRC. And we had to pull them back to Goma and then to Kinshasa in early September because of some of the security concerns in the area. So we've been doing a lot of technical assistance, both as we can, with the coordination committee in Kinshasa, which is run by the Ministry of Health. We've been supporting data analysis in Geneva and also in Kinshasa. And we've been providing technical guidance and training of staff that go to the field in areas such as disease tracking, case investigation, contact tracing, case management, safe burials, community engagement, social mobilization, and also helping to coordinate efforts with the ring vaccination in terms of work that we're doing with this central coordination group in Kinshasa. In mid-October, the World Health Organization announced that it was not going to declare this outbreak a global health emergency. Why that decision and what effect has it had on the response? So when WHO has made assessments for a public health emergency of international concern, it's usually involved multiple regions where the WHO is stationed. And in this outbreak, the assessment that this executive committee made is that the risk of spread continues to be low at the global level since it is focused within these two provinces of the Democratic Republic of Congo in Eastern Congo. 
but the risk of spread remains very high at the national and regional levels. And so they continue to advise against travel or trade restrictions, and that's really to promote opportunities to respond in this outbreak and to get people into the area. But they understand that the outbreak is taking place in a particularly complex context. It poses a number of important challenges, including the ongoing security concerns, which affected our staff in the end of August, community mistrust, and more concerning, the new cases which are being identified without epidemiologic links, the facts that these individuals in many cases are going to multiple healthcare centers seeking care and taking a very long time before people think Ebola and then approach testing for Ebola and safe isolation and treatment of these individuals. How are the lessons that we learned during the 2014 outbreak in West Africa being applied now in the DRC, both in terms of treatment and in terms of interactions with the community, as you talk about? I think all the lessons from the West Africa Ebola break, outbreak are being applied here. But I think there's been a degree of frustration with responders in the field in terms of how well the performance has been in terms of how these approaches are undertaken. So the fact that we're continuing to see additional cases identified without known epidemiologic links at this point in time, so they're not on contact lists and maybe later as additional investigations, it's realized that they were a missed contact from a prior confirmed or probable case, and so then they go onto the list. These are real issues in terms of the ability to rapidly control this outbreak. And so further strengthening by partners in supporting WHO and supporting the Minister of Health is really needed to get people to the field who have the technical skills to provide additional support to the response efforts. In your article, you write that there are five therapeutic agents that uh, DRC authorities have approved for compassionate use. In what cases are those agents being considered, and how are the outcomes being assessed? How's it being evaluated? So right now, from uh, reports from the World Health Organization, we understand that there's about just over 100 patients, so 113 as of the 30th of October. And there is a compassionate use board that essentially convenes to weigh in in terms of how and which of these therapeutics will be used. And so right now, it's the MAB114, ZMAP, Remdesivir, and Regeneron compounds, or REGNB3, are the four therapeutics that are currently being used by clinicians within the ALIMA and MSF facilities. And so this ethical framework under which these compounds are being used is called a monitored emergency use of unregistered and experimental interventions. So it's the acronym is MURI, M-E-U-R-I. And so we're waiting for approved clinical trials in country to become available. So there is a randomized control trial that NIAID has worked on with both the INRB and the Minister of Health in DRC, as well as with the WHO Research and Development Group in Geneva. You also talk in your article about the rollout of a vaccine to thousands of people in the DRC. How's that vaccination campaign being coordinated and what kind of barriers has it faced? As you know, there's currently no licensed vaccine for Ebola, licensed either by the United States Food and Drug Administration or by the European authorities or by African authorities. So at this point, an investigational vaccine, which is being used under expanded access, um, is being supported in DRC. 
So a protocol similar to what was used in the ninth outbreak of Ebola, which was declared ended in the end of July of 2018, days before this outbreak was announced. That protocol has now been adapted to use in this circumstance in these two provinces of DRC. And so basically, it follows recommendations made by the WHO advisory group known as the SAGE in terms of continuing to focus on a ring vaccination approach. So this was similar to what was used for smallpox eradication, so initially described in Nigeria in the late 60s. And it was used investigationally in Guinea in the West African Ebola outbreak showing that if you vaccinated contacts of cases and their contacts, so this sort of expanded ring, that there was an apparent prevention of disease in those contacts who were vaccinated in Guinea, or contacts and their contacts. And that's if you looked at people who did or did not develop disease 10 days after vaccination. So that type of approach has been used in these two provinces. Our concern now is that really over the past month, We've continued to see new cases identified who aren't known to be contacts in Italy. And so these have been individuals who've not been vaccinated for the majority. And so really this ring approach can work quite well if there's really quite tight coordination between the surveillance arms of the response and the vaccination arms of the response. We understand that there's attempts now to improve those efforts through some reorganization of how the Emergency Operations Center has been set up in Beni, and so we will look to see how that improves the response efforts over the next weeks. Finally, what's the anticipated timeline for having established Ebola treatment protocols and a vaccine that's available for widespread use? The NIH is optimistic that by mid-November, they will be able to start a randomized controlled trial. And that will then build generalizable evidence for thinking about how these therapeutics perform, uh, their efficacy and their safety. The trial is being designed so that there would be just over 100 individuals per arm. These are specifics that NIAID is working on quite closely with the World Health Organization and also with the DRC Ministry of Health and the INRB. In terms of the vaccine, the sponsor of the current vaccine that's being used in DRC, which is Merck, So this is a vehicular stomatitis viral vector, which expresses the glycoprotein from Ebola virus Zaire. We know that they've been working quite closely with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration in terms of providing information and data for regulatory review. And so I don't have a clear timeline when that will happen, but we hope that with the additional data from the ninth DRC outbreak in Bokoro that the FDA will soon have sufficient information to help make an informed decision on licensure. Thank you, Dr. Damon.